Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Josh English from the band Six Going on Seven. Josh was raised in Oregon, seasoned in Boston, and an influence on many bands that you love today. You should be on the tip of your tongue in this scene. Maybe after this interview, the band and Josh will be. Their influence personally has stayed with me for years, from their days on some records in the late 90s to their last album, Americant or Won't, on Big Wheel Recreation, released back in 2001. Their CDs and 7 Inches I've had have been staring at me ever since. So honestly, I always had Josh on the list to interview, and as this podcast creeps past its 200th episode and 10th year, it was an honor to speak to Josh about his life and what he's got up next in his career. This is episode 202 of the Washed Up Email Podcast with Josh English from Six Going On Seven. Josh? What's going on, man? How are you? Good. It's nice to hear your voice. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, man. Oh, yeah, man. Of course. This is this is absolutely, uh, I mean, I'm easy that way. You know, like I, I, I've been, my mom's a music teacher. I've been playing music my, my whole life. It's not a, there's no gosh moments, I don't think. And if they are, we'll, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Right. But, uh, you know what I mean? This is all well and good. It's, it, there's some altruism involved on both ends, you know? I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's totally cool, man. Yeah. Right. Did you think I'm that, easy. did you think that, you know, 20 plus years later, someone will be talking to you about six going on seven? You know, who knows? Not really. I mean, <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know that I intentionally go into anything with that mindset, you know, maybe, maybe a little more aggressively when I was, um, you know, 19, you right. Know? Right. Um, insofar as my motivation was, I don't even know if my motivation was different, man. You know, like, um, when I was, when I moved to Boston, it was to play with a friend. We didn't have a guitar player. Um, so it was pretty, uh, pretty organic in that regard, you know? And I think that we had our influences and our, uh, motivation, but in terms of everything else, um, you know, it's not like I knew anybody outside of Will and his sister <laughs> moving there. So, uh, that's cool. And that, then where did you grow up before you moved to Boston? Uh, I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, which is where I, where I am right now, specifically in a car in Portland, Oregon, on the side <laughs> of the road. So, but yeah, I've been back here for a bit, but um, yeah, Portland's where I grew up. I was born in San Francisco because my mom was teaching down there. My dad was in uh, graduate school. Um, and then they moved back up to Portland where they're both from and split up shortly after but i grew up in portland yeah and what years did you start to realize like oh there's there's other music than that's that's uh not on the radio how did you find that especially i mean portland was what was going on then uh, okay yeah that's a that's a good i'm trying to think you know i mean i'm definitely like a radio kid you know my mom always had the radio on in the mm -hmm. car and my mom's a music teacher but she taught uh, primarily elementary and like middle school music. So not, not, you know, cool, 
quote unquote music. Although <laughs> I did get turned on to certain things from my mom in retrospect that I'm thankful for, you know, um, for sure, for sure. But I mean, like my, my discovery of music was like the sort of cassette era of all sorts of things. Um, and then there was a record store at the, about two blocks from where I grew up in North Portland called everybody's record tapes and video. And that place was like a combo head shop, record shop, um, video rental store. Like it, it changed over the years, but that's where I kind of found, uh, you know, buttons for your, for your jacket mm-hmm. or whatever, <laughs> that sort of thing. Like the spinner, I was really mesmerized by the spinner and all the sort of like foil, <laughs> the foil buttons. <laughs> and, uh, I bought some of my first music there for sure. And continued to spend money there. And it went out of business, um, like way later, like it probably was still in business when I was, um, in Boston for a while. And it, like I said, it had morphed over the years, but that to some degree was like my discovery of music on my own. It was still a lot like I bought a clash 45 really early on, um, which was cool, but I don't know that I knew I was cool doing it. It was just sort of like probably one of the ones that was towards the front or, you know, or popular at that mm-hmm. time. Um, and then I bought some other Eddie rabbit, this guy <laughs> who wrote this song, driving my life away, which is a terrible, like AM radio song. I was like the second one. So those, those sort of like polls cancel each other out, but giving you an idea of where I was at. <laughs> then. And then definitely like, you know, probably like, you know, early 120 minutes, like MTV type stuff. And then in the Portland scene, for sure, for sure. Like, the tail end of middle school and high school um i knew the kids i was into skating I, I i've been skating for forever and still love it that whole culture like the peripheral connection to music is sort of inherent you know to all sorts of stuff so i got like the the thrasher skate rock cassettes and cds and i got um into bands that were interviewed in thrasher probably that way so probably some like punk stuff a little bit initially, but for sure these kids that I knew that was, uh, one of my, like my PE partner when I was a freshman in high school was Jerry A's little brother from poison idea. Wow. So he, his name's Jason. And he was like my, you know, we just got paired up randomly and I wound up with Jason Lang, which is Jerry A's little brother. And, uh, that whole like group of people that he knew was, you know, definitely like light years beyond me in terms of like what, how, how sort of like into that culture they were at the time, specifically like Portland punk culture, you know? So I was like, you know, that was peripheral for me, but I definitely like, it piqued my interest. I got a, I got a mixtape from one of those guys, not from Jason, but somebody that he knew. And that had a lot of bands I'd never heard before. And then, you know, just through that rabbit hole, definitely figured out uh you know dc stuff which i love local stuff you know i started going to shows early i got dropped off and picked up at shows and just sort of would like stand by the nearest beam i could find (laughs) protect me right and uh so i saw a lot of cool stuff that way and well what were some of those shows oh man um 
trying to think of what I saw early on that was cool in, you know, I mean, I definitely saw for me, a lot of the sub pop stuff. Mm-hmm. I saw that sub pop used to do these things called ultra lane fests in, uh, the Northwest. And I don't know if they did them in Seattle as well, but they did them in Portland. And I, I ended up seeing like, uh, I saw seaweed a bunch who I really liked. That's not like, that's not like real early on, but that was a band that I loved. Saw plenty of times. And then, uh, Afghan wigs. I oh, saw hell yeah. on, but didn't know about them. <laughs> uh, so it, it was one of those things that like, I have a flyer from that show. And like years later, I'm like, shit, why, why did I not, you know, why did I not pay more attention? But that's, that, ain't that always the way, you know, totally. that's the way it is with those things. And then, I mean, I was playing in bands with guys about 10 years older than me when I started playing music, which was like in my teens. And a lot of those things were not, late teens more like legitimately, but there, there was a club called Satyricon in town, which is like the, the Portland equivalent of like Boston's Rat or like CBGB's mm-hmm. in terms of like shows that have obnoxious amounts of people on a bill, you know, 12 bands playing or whatever. And so some of those shows ended up, I just ended up with like seeing or playing with cool bands because of that. This band Engine Kid, mm-hmm. I played with when I was young. Um, I'm trying to think. This band A Miniature, which was a cool band at the time. Uh, lots of like Northwest stuff that I saw. You know, that's I'm from Portland, so like my favorite bands, the bands that I really, really dug were like Heat Miser, Elliot Smith's band, um, before he was solo. Uh, this band 30 Out Six that had um, a couple people I knew in it, and um, Sean, the singer, is no longer around. Um, but those bands were like huge bands for me in a sort of like crucial period. Not necessarily sonically, although that that much as well, but just sort of uh, the venues that I saw these these bands in. You know, like uh, Handprints, which was this like handprint it was like a silkscreen studio that did a lot of like local flyers and shirts and such and they would throw shows and I don't think they were supposed to throw shows but they did anyway so seeing shows like that were cool and you know just the way that it informed the way I um, thought about music um, which kind of circling back to your question just you know what you could do and what parameters had to be on stuff you know because mm-hmm. I'm definitely still in love with that idea that it can be what you want it to be you know, I think that's the biggest takeaway. And uh, I have an uncle who's in the Oregon Music Hall of Fame for like his roots rock bands that he was in. He's a bass player. He was a big influence on me when I was a kid. Just kind of like, oh, you know, like that sucks. Listen to this. And of course, a lot of his stuff, because he's, you know, he's my cool uncle, but he was still my uncle. So, you know, some of the stuff you reject and you think you know better, and then you kind of come back around to it later and go like, oh man, yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get this earlier, but I didn't get it because you were wrong. I got it because my my brain was like hyper-focused on this one genre and or like whatever sort of bookends I decided were cool. Right. Music, you know? What about so. Portland? You know, again, I, I, I was in the Northeast in Vermont and I felt isolated, but... You know, Montreal was close, New York, Boston, of course, you know, the Pacific Northwest, it's like, you got to go quite a ways to find somebody. Um, And the bands, you know, definitely you've got Seattle and, and, and San Fran. What about that, 
uh, shaped or how did you, did you feel connected? Um, but it also felt that it was almost like fine on its own too. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I felt connected, but I don't know that I, that that need was there for me yet at that point in time. I, I mean, like completely honestly, you know, when you start going to shows, it's just like wherever you, you get kind of plopped where you get plops, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, and I grew up here and this was like what was going on when I was here. And so I think that I feel super fortunate now, but I mean, I just, you know, like I saw some of these bands like, you know, mud honey and Nirvana and all those grunge bands, like a million times on bills, not sort of really realizing like the context until later, you know, to the, to the, bigger part of the world and, th and those are like bigger bands but i mean like before some of those bands were you know not not nirvana specifically but definitely like northwest sort of grunge sort of stuff and then beyond that when i was older you know post all that stuff there was like motor goat i saw the motor goats first portland show and that's like sam and janet from quasi wow and they played like um they, they, it was basically Janet drumming, Sam singing, and they had a third guy who can't remember what he did. Um, but like that sort of thing. And that wasn't because I knew anything. It was just completely because I used to go to this place called X-Ray Cafe, which was actually one of the two people who ran it is one of the guys who opened Voodoo Donut later on. Ah, uh -huh, um, nice. Trey. So um, the coolest thing about X-Ray Cafe was not the sound because the sound was terrible, but, um, but it was all ages and it survived for, you know, for a good period of time. And they would do things like, like drive, like Jay, who would play like a surprise show there, that sort of thing. And just weird. And then a lot of really good local stuff. It wasn't big. Um, it had this incredible collection of black velvet paintings on the back wall, like behind you while you played. And I, I got to play it a couple of times, but mostly my memories of that place are just like seeing cool bands and kind of getting turned on to cool stuff. And Motor Goat was one of those bands that I liked um, when I saw that show. And I think they broke up not soon after and then, you know, did a million other things. Wow. But, um, that, but I mean, you really dove in. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, in the period that I was, you know, I mean, again, like I went from kind of like... Uh, Dipping my toe in, you know, like seeing the shows that made sense by the, the paper. And then I ended up going to play. The, there, there was a thing called the Mayor's Ball, which, again, it was like, you know, like a local fest. And I saw these bands that I don't, I couldn't even tell you what bands I saw, honestly. But if I went back and looked, you know, um, probably some really cool bands, you know. But, I mean, a lot of that was like me pretending I knew what the fuck's going on and just <laughs> just showing up and checking it out and like, you know. I don't have, I have a bunch of siblings, but I'm the only child from my parents' marriage. Mm -hmm. So they're all like, they were all in different households. I mean, I lived with, I lived with my sisters, but I never lived with my dad and my half brother. So, and I'm the oldest. And as such, like a lot of that stuff, I was, I had nobody to like turn me on to that stuff. So friends that did, but I don't mean no siblings, I guess is what I mean specifically. Like that was just sort of self-discovery. Right. And there was stuff that there were bands that I loved, man, that I, that I like sick of it all who I never got to see cause they never came through when I was, you know, they just weren't, you know, and then there were other bands that I saw a bunch here 
that, you know, just that they were on a lot of bills. Like, I think I saw Rocket from the Crypt a bunch of times before I moved to, you know, the East Coast. And I wow. think about that, and I'm like, that's that's pretty cool, you know? Like, I don't think I realized, you know, and then I finally got to see Sick of It All when I moved to the East Coast. And I'm sure they went someplace else. You know, I'm sure they went to Seattle, or maybe they even went to Portland, but it was either before I knew about them or before they were bigger. Right. You know? I kind of love but, uh, that. Yeah, you like look back at a flyer and you're like, "What did I miss that week?" Because I went to that dumb show on Thursday, <laughs> and then exactly. Friday was whatever. <laughs> and that's and that's you know like this is you know this is pre ubiquitous ubiquitous internet for sure. Oh, a thousand percent. As well as, as, well as pre internet. So my there was a thing called um, well, it's called the Mercury now, but it used to be called the Rocket. And the rocket was like, I think the Seattle rocket, the Portland rocket. And then there were a couple other ones, the stranger, but it, it was, it was basically the same. It's the same paper that morphed a million times. Um, and those papers had ads from the venues and I would just pour over those things and look and like highlight stuff or circle stuff I wanted to go see. And, you know, I would see a small fraction of it, but I think about that stuff now and you know that's no different from when i lived in boston it's the same thing you know like it, it was such a cool era to see stuff and i felt like i was sort of getting to relive that you know early teen period when i moved to boston because a lot of these bands that proximity didn't allow for me to see earlier i gotta see <laughs> i gotta see just by way of being there again you know not cool just like oh they're playing you know they're playing at a club that i know where that is i know where the middle east is you know, right. Um, or but also, I mean, you had to work like it was I, I had the same paper, whatever the one back in Vermont was or pour through. I think on Thursdays, the big lame paper had one guy that posted, you know, shows and you could like yeah, kind yeah. of figure out what was going on. And then you needed to go to that show. And then you met the one person that told you about this other thing. And I, I loved that because I wasn't searching wiki or YouTube um, and I think that's a thing that obviously has gone forever or until we blow up the earth. Um, but you know, the, there's this, there's this, which is happening. Yeah. Uh, but that point of like the unknown and you just kind of being there, because if you didn't, if you just stayed home, um, things wouldn't have happened. Like you wouldn't have met that other guitar player. You wouldn't have met that one guy that then drove, you guys drove to Seattle for a show. Like I, I know that that happens in different ways now, but I loved, like being there and being in it. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, you know, and lest we get too sentimental, I think in some regard, it's just like that, whatever, whatever your like sweet period is quote unquote, you know, like where you totally really, where you're finding things out, those hold that like special place in your heart, which, um, you know, I listen to the radio still sometimes when I'm driving just because, um, I love, that sort of just like hearing a song that I can't dial up on Spotify it just like comes on, you know, and I get it. It's just all pre-programmed, you know, direct to appeal to my <laughs> whatever, my dopamine, but it's working, you know, like I, I all of those songs and music and in general has been so special and influential in my life that like I hear songs and I'm like, shit, oh, I love this song. I can't believe I forgot about this song. Right. And that, you know, they talk about like culture being sort of ubiquitous at some point, like at one point, like what the popular movie was in the, in the nation was the popular movie. And that 
you know, like the wiki, the, the wiki rabbit hole and, and, you know, YouTube and Google, all, all that's like, everything's so meta now. And that's good and bad. It's an, it, it, at the very least, it's interesting, you know, and, and it's, it's probably the biggest reason for stuff not coming back is now everybody can see, I can, you know, hop on, hop online and see what everybody's like, what cool bands are kicking in Vermont right now, just with right. a few different like, friends of friends of friends. And before that, man, it was just completely like, it was like a, if, you know, if a band came through Portland, that was from like South Carolina, they may as well have been from Mars. Right. You know, because I had, you know, I've now, you know, since in my touring and everything else, like played a bunch of places in the, you know, U.S. and Europe and everything else. But like prior to that, you know, like, I mean, I'd been to, you know, Canada and Washington, and, you know, California where I was born and, and D.C. for a trip from school, you know, <laughs> and that was the extent of it. So even New England was, you know, Mars. Right. Um, other, than, other than the fact I had a friend there. And you then know. they would tell you stuff. They'd be like, oh, this is happening, or check this band, or this label. And then it, it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's a, and, and that's another thing, too. You know, like the whole, that process of discovery in general, you know, that exists in like libraries today. And other, it's still there in record stores and libraries and everything. You can, you can, you can still go that route. And that's not to... Um, count the other route as well but it's an interesting route to go you know like if if you're into art and you're into creativity and you don't care what people think and hopefully if you're over you know 25 you don't um but that whole idea of you can go into a record store and like just ask like what are you what are you into like you know what do you like or go into a library and go like i really really dig this author like can you recommend something that's that's the coolest man and like find you know seeing a band live and buying their record and then flipping it over and seeing what their label was and seeing that label address and then going hmm and then going down that you know path of who else has this label released because i really liked that band was another you know that's another sort of common thing and i think that exists too but it's not the same as an algorithm on spotify that goes like you really like, you know, um, whoever, I don't know. Six you know, going on seven. Yeah. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. <laughs> Most likely you've never heard of them, but if you do, <laughs> let me tell you about these other bands, right. you know, and, and, and that thing. And that's, that's cool too, you know? But, uh, when I listen to Spotify or when I listen to something like that, I'll listen to like Harry Styles or somebody. So that the things that get recommended to me are like stuff I really don't know. Right. You know? Yeah, I think I, I love I love actually having someone in my life that like isn't like me where I'm uber nerd and you know wants to find out what the deep cut is and and deep things but then having someone that's like watching them consume music or books or anything else and see how they're interacting with it is sort of just as exciting and you like I like you said with the radio um I kind of love that and I just I think it's places like Portland that have this identity, but then seen like local support and then the bands come through and it's sort of like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's like another class you took in school. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and you don't, you know, and you're not always, you know, you're so self-conscious in that, in that 
era and sort of hyper aware of like what you should be liking and not liking and everything, or you're, or you're kind of cultivating that. And it's just fun in retrospect to look at that and just go, huh, you know, like that was cool. That was funny. I, you know, I can't believe I got to do that or see that, or, you know, it stinks that I missed that because I was too worried about this or, you know what I mean? Right. All those things. Yeah. That, and, uh, that girl broke my heart. Like, so I didn't go outside or I didn't want to go. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all, all those things. You know, my mom, my mom had a friend in elementary school who was real shy. And this is, this, this story kills me every time. And, um, who said, do you want to go see this concert with me? Well, my mom was a little girl growing up and she actually grew up in North Plains, which is like the country in Oregon. It's about an, 45 minutes from Portland, I guess, like due west towards the beach. Mm-hmm. So she grew up like farm, farm country. And especially when she grew up and my mom was like, sure. And her friend took her to see the Beatles. The one time they played at Memorial Coliseum. Wow. The one time they played Portland. And I think about stories like that, and I'm like, fuck, like, what a, talk about, like, right place, right time, you know, sort of stuff that happens, just so surreal and weird. And, you know, like, those things happen to all of us. It's just, we don't realize them until later. No, and, and like, you mentioning, and I want to get to Boston and Six Going at Seven and and definitely talk a lot of hardcore, but I love this moment you're talking about because, it's partly why I do the podcast. It's partly why, you know, I wanted you on is that there's sometimes these voices that aren't written down or talked about, or the flyer isn't saved. And sometimes things go to the wayside. And I feel like this era, this time period isn't as documented as much. Um, because right after, you know, things, the internet really picked up and you, you could take all these photos and, but this was like a little bit before that, where it's the one person with the really awesome camera that took shows and maybe the rich kid had a VHS thing, but wasn't everything. So it's just, I find that really interesting, like, and also taking those chances, like going to your mom, going to that show or getting invited. You're just going to go, you just want to go. You don't have you know, a dopamine hit of Netflix, um, which I'll totally take. Um, but it's, it's those things that I think lead you in places that you might have influences otherwise. Yes. It was the girl back then, but I think there's even more. And I kind of miss, I miss that not necessarily for nostalgia, but more for like the documentation. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, those, those things are like, you know, you were referencing Netflix and, and not that Netflix needs any promotion on your podcast, but that whole idea of the algorithm and those things, like there's so much, it's almost like there's so much culture to be had right now. And I'm not sure the vetting done, you know, like if you're looking at it from the standpoint of like box office films or major label records of an era or whatever, like that vetting was done on your behalf. And that was the cool thing about the self-discovery of like indie rock music, any sort of DIY stuff. Like, man, this exists on this like parallel path. And if I'd never taken this detour, I never would know about it. It would just be, you know, it would just be whatever is coming out now. Otherwise, and so that, journey is harder now because of all that stuff but there's so much there's so much cool stuff it's almost just like there's so many cool 
shows and documentaries and movies. I just have to like, and, and books, sometimes I just have to turn it off and like, just go with one thing. Like I'm really into this right now. I'm going to try to read all this author's books right. or, or you know how fucking this. hard that is though. Like I'll sometimes it's go way, outside with my book, like, or my Kindle, which doesn't have anything else on it. And yeah. I'll sit there and I'll read for a while. And then I'll be like, how's my post doing? You know, or like, then I'll be like, what's, you know, what's, what's, what's the score of the game? And I'm like, shut up, Tom, you're outside. It's not raining. Like read the book, but your brain is just constantly yeah. telling you like, go find something else, man. <laughs> it's, it's definitely like, you know, it's definitely rewired now because of everything for better or for worse. Like, so I, I will, I'll go read. Like if I'm watching a show, I need to read the Wikipedia on every cast member. And it's like obsessive. <laughs> I do it down the line. <laughs> No, this is a peripheral character. Like, I'm looking at IMDb, and I want to go, like, no, I want to go, like, four rows down. Who was that guy that played that guy two episodes of season three? You know, like, that sort of thing. I love that. And, no, I'll do the same thing. I'll pause Amazon Prime and be like, all right, who's that guy in the background? Because I think he was in this other movie. <laughs> right. But I, then, I, then I'm more fair to myself. I'm not as hard on myself, and I think this is exactly what I've done with music. Right. So it's just a different... So in that regard, hopefully it's just carrying over. But, but, you know, you go, you get in a room and you play with people and you write stuff. You know, I, the, the people that I play with currently and have played with over the last few years, like that process, you know, the only thing that's distracting is we take a break and we're talking about, you know, a song or whatever. And I can dial up like that song right. on my iPhone. You know, or like, oh, like, watch this live video of this. And it's like, okay, that's tangent. Let's get back to what we're doing, you know. But, like, just being able to do stuff and record it and have that peace of mind, it's like running. I, I like to run, and I don't run with headphones or my phone or anything. I just, I just go out and run, right. you know, with just a, a watch. It has, like, GPS on it in case I want to track that. But that's such head clearer, man. And when I was doing that, we had – crazy forest fires down where you are. Yeah. Same. We've been, we've been sucking your smoke and vice for, versa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I mean like those, those things, right. That those moments, you just have to, you just have to make them happen. And then, and then for me, I, I don't make them happen often. And then I have to sort of tisk tisk and like, okay, put that down, <laughs> go do this. Yeah. You know? Um, so what, and did you move to Boston for school or for just music? What was the, what was the jump to there? It was, it was just music, man. I was in school. I had done a little bit of stuff. I was, I was really getting sporadic with my classes because my heart was elsewhere, you know, like the create the creativity, um, or just making something. The creativity sounds like a, both misguided and pompous. I don't mean that. I just mean like I know what you mean. my, my need to like, I just have this like visceral need to like make stuff, like make songs and stuff. And Will and I knew each other. We went to school together for a year in Oregon and he moved back to go to UMass, I believe. And it was one of those things where I was sort of, I had been in a, been doing some stuff in Portland, but I just didn't feel like the guys I, were, I was playing with were as serious as I was, whether that's accurate or not. It was just my perception at the time, you know, and with all of that sort of misguided uh, 
ego of, of you know, of an early 20 kid. You just, I just want, I'm, I'm going to go to Boston and, and Will and I are going to, let's just, you know, start a band. And so that's what I did. You know, I just, I just uh, drove cross country with my, uh, my, one of my oldest friends, actually probably still my oldest friend, somebody I met when I was 12 in junior high. And uh, we drove there together and found an apartment in Boston and uh, Will and I started playing together again. Um, I had a bunch of songs written, so we worked on some of those, we worked on some new ideas. And he worked at a, oh, I can't remember where he worked. He worked at like a natural foods grocery store, I think. And I think it was called Bread and Circus. Yes, it, um, totally Bread okay. and Circus. Good job, Josh. Okay. So, so before my, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not familiar with it other than I remember that somehow. So Bread and Circus. And he goes, yeah, man, I work in the deli with this guy who plays guitar. And he's really cool. I think you'd like him. And I was like, cool, that sounds great. <laughs> and, and thus began the lineup of six going and seven. So that was, that was it, man. It wow. was, we played with one person, James, and, uh, we just kind of like, you know, we, I, I think there was sort of like, we were, we're all kindred spirits in that. Like James is uh, a Texas native. Will's the only one that was actually from the Boston area. And, uh, I just, I don't know. We clicked and we were all motivated and sort of the right age and, we turned each other on to different bands and we all knew a bunch of stuff as well, obsessively, you know? So that sort of brew was a good um, start. And we played with a couple different like configurations initially, just kind of like some things early on when we were trying stuff out. And, um, but like the core group of James, Will and myself was like a pretty easy early fit for lack of a better description, you know? Yeah. And I want to, I, I was going to, I want to go deep into six going on seven, obviously, but I had forgotten about union suit. Yeah. Yeah. And cause I was just texting with Porman, and, okay. um, and yeah. I was like, I was like, how did I miss this? I mean, I knew Sam black church. I knew tree. Like I, I was like, how did I miss? And so he was kind of making fun of me. What was, were you in that for just like a hot second or what, how did I miss that? I was. So, so there was during the trajectory of six and seven, like I was only really ever in six and seven for lack of, you know, like that's, that's the way that, that's my perception of it. Anyway, right. I was, I played shows with union suit and I recorded their one demo with them. And I never formerly, formally joined. I don't remember who I replaced. Um, because my memory is terrible with that sort of stuff. Right. Um, and I don't, but you know, I knew Aaron from Hydrahead and I knew Porman and it was just an, it was just one of those things that like we were, we were, we were friendly. We were friends. It was just a fun thing. It was really outside of my wheelhouse of what I was good at. Um, that definitely has more of like a Rorschach, right. you know, like that sort of influence to all stuff I liked, but not stuff I'd really played. You know, and then the same fair, thing so with Cast Iron Hike. That was just like a cup of Cast coffee. Iron, it's all of that stuff is they're all friends. They're all like organic friends. So I lived with I'm going to get this wrong because I've lived with both. But I think I lived with Jake at the time. I lived with Jake and I lived with Chris, but I lived with them at different times. And I think it was Jake, but it might have been before I lived with Jake anyway. 
And uh, yeah, it was just one of those things where I knew, I knew those guys. I didn't know Mike as well. And I didn't know, um, I didn't know everybody else as well. It was just one of those things where I knew Chris and I knew Jake and I don't remember if, and I, and I met, you know, I met Dave, I'd met Dave the drummer before and I'd met Mike before, but I actually knew and hung out with Chris and Jake at different times, just through music stuff. And I'd seen cast iron hike. I think, um, I was aware of like how, you know, trajectory for sure. And I liked that band and I liked those guys. When I, when I joined or when I filled in, I guess, again, like it was one of those things like where the dynamic was so established. It was just like, it's like bringing somebody into six going and seven after like five years or something, you know, like they're they're like siblings and I'm definitely like, I'm on visitation, you know, I'm coming over to To help out for a second. Dude, that like they're, you know, and, I love all those guys. And that was a really fun time for me. I had a lot of fun doing that stuff, but my, my goal at that point in my life and kind of still was like, like if they had been like, join the band, we're going to write a new record. Let's write a record together. But they were touring on their, you know, their big stuff. They were touring on that victory record. Right. Like that, that was the thing. And they were getting looked at by tons of labels as well. They should have been, they were great live, you know, um, Chris is still one of like, he's like the riff machine, man. He just cranks them out. <laughs> he cranks out great riffs. He does. He's, he's seriously one of those. You want to talk about a guy who I love, who's so down the rabbit hole of music, who, when we, when we sit together and like, listen to stuff, it's just like, it could go on endlessly. And at some point we just have to be like, okay, enough. <laughs> when I when we used to hang out together, you know what I mean? Like both before we lived together, during and then after even, you know, like in more recent years. It's just one of those he's one of those guys that ingests stuff like just doesn't stop, you know? And I think that informs so many cool things in his playing and allows him to keep going. But to Cast Iron Hike, that was it. I played a bunch I think I played like a two week tour and then a bunch of one offs and I had a really good time doing it i had a lot of fun and it was again like i knew those i knew that scene from going and seeing shows but i didn't know that scene from playing in bands right on those shows so that <laughs> that was a cool education as well right and then and I, what about the difference between you know coming to boston and kind of diving in again you know did you feel did you feel any similarities or did you feel a uh, the same because it I, I if i'm thinking about the way you just described portland I considered Boston that because you got Berkeley, you got the, you know, the, you got Northeast, you got all these kids, college kids and music schools, and then these great venues and you can go to Connecticut. You can go up to Maine. You can go up and see me in Vermont. You can like in in a weekend and it just, it, what were, what were some of those, you know, differences or things you felt? Well, the proximity, I mean, you know, like when I, I, I played, I played a bunch when I started playing, but it was all in Portland, you know, and maybe, maybe Salem, maybe Eugene. I mean, I'm sure there's some like one offs in there, but like, that's right. it, man. It was just like, you could play, you know, first of all, it's not like I was doing anything that anybody cared about. I was just, you know, cutting my teeth and learning and getting better. But like, as, as I was doing that, that scene was just like whatever 10 clubs were in current rotation, you know? And you just kind of bounce between those clubs. I don't even know if it, I, I don't even know like if I thought about traveling 
yet. I mean, I think maybe a little bit, but I, I liked the idea of getting on a label. And right before I moved to Boston, um, the band I was in got signed. And because we had been on a compilation and then we got signed to Tim Kerr. And Tim Kerr at the time had two bands that were doing well, Dandy Warhols and Everclear, who they just signed. Wow. And the 45, I recorded a 45 with, uh, so this, this is another Portland, uh, another cool Portland legend thing that's just, uh, again, kind of. So I played with guys, like I said, they were about 10 years older than me at the time. Maybe not quite, but one of them for sure. And those guys knew some of the Poison Idea guys, and they knew Slayer Hippie, the drummer from Poison Idea. And I was a huge fan at that time. I was super nerding out over that. And he was producing people. So we got him to produce the 45 that we recorded. And uh, that was going to come out on Tim Curse. So there was like a ad, like a full page ad on the back of going back to Rocket. Huge deal. Huge deal. And we had like a little square, like the little, like the cover of uh, the A side was this song called Garden Gnome. And and the B side was a song called uh, I don't remember this Soda Jerk and I think there was one called Victory Lap I think those were the other two anyway he recorded like five songs for us but like that happened for me within like six months before I you know six months ish before I moved to Boston and I was playing shows at bigger venues and you know played at this place called La Luna became a a big not became, it was a, it was a big or mid-sized club in Portland. So I started playing those shows and I think that like my confidence grew in so far as like we were being well-received, we were getting like good, you know, I mean, we got signed to a cool label, you know, the wipers were on the label and like William S. Burroughs and Nirvana's or, or Kurt Cobain's like spoken word thing. Right. And Andy Warhol's. And so, you know, and, and we were nobody, but it was the start of something. And I think that might've been the thing where I thought like, shit, like I should, I should really just do this. I, I already want to do this. I should just do this. And, and maybe also a little bit of a reflection on where I needed to go next. And Will just felt like the guy that was a killer drummer and such a sweetheart of a person that um, the right person to do with, you know, and again, like I didn't, you know, I didn't, have stuff going on that kept me from going. Right. And that's, that's the greatest thing about being that age, you know, you can just get Um, up and go. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know? And I, and I, um, I really liked Portland and I still love Portland, but it's like, I can't imagine. It's a weird thing to me. Like I have two, I have two sons. I've got a, uh, almost 12 year old and a seven year old. And if they don't leave Portland at some point, I'm going to kick them out. You know, like you have to, you have to go like, it's, it seems like such human nature that you're going to be curious about what else is going on wherever. Um, even more so now that, you know, you can look everything up online and sort of maybe proactively set yourself up slightly better, you know, but that whole idea of like doing that, I, I don't think I thought much about it. I probably thought much too little about it and just kind of, I'll figure it out when I get there, you know, um, who did you first that, meet when you got there? When you got to Boston, were there were there certain folks that started introducing you to people? And okay, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So, so the crew, this, 
I met a lot of people that like roommates, like weird roommates that I had, you know, like in houses with like four or five people that I never, that, you know, that who knows that I right. barely knew then. And you know what I mean? Um, I had the roommate that just like meticulously rolled joints with his like joint rolling machine on the, uh, coffee table. Every time I was like coming home, he was always doing that. Um, he was this, he was this, he was this French guy. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a great story, but that's, it's true. And then I, I met, uh, Greg and Derek, who I called Woodsy and everybody called Woodsy and Kevin Rowe. They were some of the first people I'd met outside of Will in Boston, outside of my, my, friend that I moved there with. Um, and there was a band called get high that Kevin sang for. And there was a band called opposition that they were in prior to that, or at least two of them were. And Kevin was sort of their roadie and six, nine and seven played with opposition and six, nine and seven played with get high. And those, those guys and Kevin's in dropkick Murphy's now. And Greg, um, runs a, uh, I think it's called fly over the city. It's like a bike courier service in Boston. That's awesome. He's been doing that forever. And Derek, I think Derek does this, uh, construction, but he's, um, he plays like reggae stuff. He's played reggae stuff for years. He's always loved. I remember he loved like, uh, rain, like the sound of trains and like those sort of discord bands. And he's a cool guy, you know? Um, but yeah, man, I think those guys are all, Greg, I don't know if Greg's involved actively in playing music, but the other two are still. And we lived in, uh, I lived in an apartment with Greg and I, I don't remember, I don't think Kevin lived there, but I, but I worked with Kevin and Greg both at a place called out of town news, which was in Harvard square, zero Harvard square mm -hmm. to be exact. It became Hudson news later on for years. So yeah, man, that was my, that was my life entry into the Boston scene for sure. Cause Will, again, like Will was super into, um, one of my connections with Will is we both love stuff like cure and sisters of mercy and, you know, front two, four, two and all that stuff. He knew all that stuff. And he had that, he had the haircut in high school to prove it, you know? So that was like our connection, that sort of stuff. And then, Derek and Kevin and um, those guys, they were um, Derek and Kevin and uh, Greg. Those guys were super into like Boston hardcore and they were friends like with Matt Kelly, mm -hmm. who was, uh, who's, you know, who sang, I can't, what's the name of the band that he sings for his son, son for like hardcore, you know, screamy short, fast songs, pretty him drumming in dropkick Murphy's. Um, and still, I think anyway, so they knew Matt Kelly and those guys. And yeah, that was my, that was, I think that they would set up shows. I think Greg maybe set up some shows and six nine seven got on some of those early ones. We played with drop dead in Rhode Island, which is so, so funny to me, you know, just the weird bills, you know, where, uh, I'm sure a lot of people hated us, but we also had your face hatchet face. No, mm, that's not what I'm thinking of. Fuck. Um, hatchet face is another one. I, I cannot, it's good. It's going to kill me. I can even, I know that's what I'm saying. Like I'm totally fine to edit this. Cause we need to figure out what this is. Like who's, which one it is. <laughs> ah, it doesn't matter. Okay, okay. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because 
that's yeah. No, it's good. So it's you started meeting, you know, you started meeting a bunch of bands. Started like you had your band, and it, I mean, again, it's sometimes you're moving somewhere the, new. It's hard to. It's it's sometimes hard to make friends. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I don't. You know, like it's funny. I I kind of have always been this way, maybe a little bit, but I um I have. Uh, you know, I have like my, my one friend from Portland that was like my sort of childhood friend. And then the music people that I met in Boston, that a lot of whom I am still in contact with, you know, um, in some, be it like through social media or just phone calls and texts, you know, but I mean, I met those guys first and then I met like that crew of like, you know, Poorman and Chris Papecki and Jake and all those guys later. And then, Jay Canava and Brian McTernan and all, all of those, the, the, you know, they were all interconnected and most of those people knew each other. And a lot of them knew each other from new England and the ones who didn't knew each other through like McTernan producing records, even though he was a DC kid, you know, mm-hmm. so that, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, we just got in on that sort of, we got in on that sort of thing just through knowing people and playing shows, you know, like I think Greg and, Kevin might have put on some early shows that we ended up playing and we played at like, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of the place. Now this is going to kill me because it's not. So we played the space in Worcester, like later on all this stuff, but this was like in, I think it was in Framingham. Um, anyway, point, point being <laughs> that we played some of these like early shows, you know, that were like basement shows um, and just got in and just, as much as we could man you know how did you that's, get with some all. we got with some i'm trying to think so we did we did that seven inch on hydrahead mm-hmm. and then we were making demos and our next we, we were gonna james was gonna put out the next seven inch and we recorded a bunch of songs um for that and we had we had i mean we have almost a full albums worth of demoed songs from six and seven that never were on anything between two demos that we, I think two demos we actively sold or maybe just one and then odds and ends things that we did. And mm-hmm. a lot of those songs I feel like are, are really, really good songs that were just representative of the time that for whatever reason, when we like to record full links were we'd either, they were too, you know, you're just, you're writing so much you're, you're, it's just perpetual motion machine. So you like, you're like, ah, not, no, I don't want to do that one. Let's do this one. It's the better version of that one. But again, like in retrospect, I look at some of that stuff and I'm like, shit, that should have been on something, you know? <laughs> uh, but we, we got on some because we, um, I don't remember. I think they got a demo. I think they got a demo of that thing that James was going to put out those songs. And, you know, it was one of those weird things where, a year or two prior I'd been watching like 120 minutes and was really super into like dying alone by quicksand, you know, on that video. And I'm just some like dumb kid from Portland, you know, who, who loves music. And then fast forward like four years later and I'm on the label of the singer, you know, right. You're from quicksand's label. And, uh, that's, uh, that's also how I met Matt, uh, Sammy, uh, who was, you know, drummer in rival schools and Civ and, youth of today and you know everything um everything new york and uh matt pinkus who 
played in Judge, I believe, but primarily like ran the label. And he's he's more of like a he's kind of I think he's like a you know, business business degree graduate. So he was sort of like the both the financial and the business acumen part of that label. And I don't I think they said you guys want to do like a, a seven inch or whatever. And I think at the time we were just like we're ready to do a record. So that was self made mess, you know. Right. We just did it and funny, funny, like weird connections to stuff like Walter's or Quicksand's management, shared management with Skid Row. And so we went and recorded Self-Made Mess in New Jersey at Dave the Snake Silo from Skid Row's basement studio. So that's... That's awesome. Yes. So that was like one of those surreal moments for me because... In, you know, growing up in North Portland, like prior to discovering the cool stuff, it was definitely metal for me, you know, like every, every sort of radio metal coming out of every sort of muscle car that, you know, that populated the neighborhood I grew up in. And so, of course, I knew Skid Row were, you know, and I remember going into the house, maybe the first time we got to go upstairs because we entered through the garage. We were told like, you know, this downstairs area, like this sort of like rec room and the bathroom and the studio are yours. This is where Dave lives. Don't go upstairs. <laughs> so, and he ended up coming down. I don't know how far into the session. Cause we was crammed, man. Like we, you know, we recorded that record in like, you know, six days or something wow. like that. Maybe, maybe less like recorded, mixed everything, you know, McTurnan recorded it. I blew up my voice trying to sing too many songs in one day. And, uh, that's why my voice is so raspy on that record compared oh, wow. to Scott. Or let me let me rephrase that. That's a big reason why. Another big reason why is, you know, I was coming from Pacific Northwest and that whole scene and was blowing out my voice trying to sing. I was, you know, I was figuring out what I wanted to sound like. Yeah. You know? And you kind of you're kind of a character to some degree, you know? And so like the real the real me is probably, you know, that that sort of in between, like that Harvick's got that beat, you know, like a little bit of grit, but not, not sounding like, you know, Blake Schwarzenbach. Or whatever, right. You know? <laughs> um, That's crazy but, though, that, that you were recording that. And then, um, you know, the, doing all that really quickly. Like, did you, did you feel any, uh, s did you feel of any like-minded bands or sense of, um, that that time period being you know 96 97 like what was that aside from the people just just in general the scene because boston's got one and new york's got one did you feel like there were some folks that you were assimilating with i don't know man i mean i thought i thought to some degree and i'm sure this is just like you know like young hubris but i thought we were kind of doing our own thing to some degree in so far as the fact that I was writing everything on bass and then I'd come to practice and I, we would play through the songs and we'd sort of like work on some arrangement stuff. And James and I's whole dynamic was based on him sort of playing guitar around the bass parts and me playing bass around his guitar parts. We, we had a thing we didn't, right. you know, maybe we couldn't define it, but we knew what we had, like drumming wise, I was super into like, I liked the DC, like the Jawbox style drumming, like that sort of thing. And Will, again, like I said, he's, his influences are 
you know, wide, like cover a wide berth. And he's one of those guys that he would like fuck around on the drum kit. And I'd be like, what's that? That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's the beat. Play that. And right. I would just play with him. And we'd, we'd write a song and, you know, in, in 10 minutes, you know, doing that. And we wrote how to sell the Brooklyn bridge based on a, uh, an idea I had and him doing this thing where when I was trying to show it to him, he kept, he kept fucking up and dropping the beat. So that he was, he was like forgetting. And I was like, let's keep that in. That's great. And we, you know, and we had that tune, but I think, you know, like going back to self-made mess that, you know, we were definitely influenced by everything we were listening to. I loved, I, I, I think I was more obsessed with the idea. So aesthetic wise, like discord had of making the record sound kind of like what we would sound like if you saw us live mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I remember that being important to me at the time I could give two shits now, but then <laughs> it was very important. Meaning like I wanted to let people know that like we could play, like if you heard the mistake, that was the mistake, but like, this is what the band sounds like, you know, cause it was important to me. I think I was discovering, I think I just seen like big produced bands, you know, when I was real young, right from the jump, you know, I saw my uncle's band open for Tom Petty at Memorial Coliseum to give you like context for right. like, the kind of stuff I saw and, you know, Guns N' Roses and like that sort of stuff, you know, and then you get into the, the cool indie indie stuff and the X-Ray Cafe rabbit hole we went down and everything. And I think I realized like, Oh shit, man, like some of these people can really play and they're doing it without, you know, crazy lights and smoke and, crazy monitors and everything else they're just they're they're blowing my mind i'm just watching them and going like how did that bass player do that how did that you know drummer do that and so i think that's what the focus was almost more than sonically more like an idea mm-hmm. an abstract idea you know and sonically definitely influenced by you know james was always turning me on to all sorts of stuff and i i couldn't speak for him i could i can't tell you what his influences were at that time what he was into but I also liked the idea of us being a three piece and the minimalism and the fact that like space could serve as a fourth member and that we didn't have to have the two guitars. Every, everybody had two guitars at the time, two guitars, one person chunking along and the other person playing like noodly riffs, you know? And I came from Portland where heat miser had been playing A heat miser blew the fucking doors off any band that tried to do that. So I didn't want to try You know what I mean? Right. Like they were, they were so, they were like levels above to this day, to this day, I, I will, I will die on that hill. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. You know, like I, I saw all these emo bands later on that I was like, eh, like meh, you know, like I get, I get it. I get what you're doing and it's cool. But like, you, you know, that was one of those bands that just like, they blew my mind. The, the, another band that blew my mind like that with the two guitar uh, model was um, No Knife. Hell yes. We toured with No Knife. And No Knife, they, I mean, oh man, you know? Like that shit, you just, you don't forget that stuff. And then everything else sort of like falls somewhere in the spectrum. Oh, that's and awesome. So I think, I think I just wanted to, I just wanted to do something that felt like what we did doing it as well as we could. 
if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. And interesting about you mentioned, like, I loved minimalism. I loved three pieces. My band in college was a three piece. Um, yes. And like, that's just, it, I just wanted this. And I actually loved Helmet growing up. And I loved the space that they t- did in their songs with the start stop. And I had a metal background as well. So it was sort of like this, you know, I had a wall of noise. I wanted to be, you know, more open uh, and brings me to my next question. Another three piece I loved also from Boston karate that, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, I, when I talked to Jeff, you know, he couldn't stand the emo term. Um, what did, what was yeah. it like having that Same. term <laughs> attached to you guys? And, it's it's talked about on the podcast, but it's just very interesting because it could be the label, it could be the area, it could be the time, and for some reason, it instantly, you know, it like the the term, uh, of course, later bastardized. But even in that '90s, it was still like wasn't respected. And I think if you got when you guys got that tag, how did you feel? You know, I I, I think that I never accepted it. I I'm not sure I do now any more than I did then insofar as like, you know, I don't be, I don't want to be that guy that's like, you know, what is the color red anyway? I mean, like define red, you know, like, I don't mean, I don't mean it like I know that. What you mean. It's just one of those, it's just one of those things where I think that it was, it was a pejorative for some, it was like a, it was like dismissive. Like it was kind of like bands that were doing like twee stuff, but could kind of play kind of couldn't, it was more of like, an aesthetic initially, or that's how it was sort of like sold to me, whether I misinterpreted it or not, you know what I mean? And then when I found out that people called like, um, discord bands emo, I was like, okay, that's cool. Whatever. We're, we're emo or whatever, whatever you want us to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and in retrospect, it's funny to me. Cause it's like, you know, you make these songs and you're so self-important about them, but you know, it's just about creating stuff and putting it out there. And then it's whatever somebody else says it is, you know, it's, it's shit. It's amazing. It's legendary. It's forgettable. You know, it's emo. <laughs> right. So, you know, like, it's just interesting. I, I, you know, man. the, that the, you guys, and I, I mean, I worked at equal vision records for a bunch of years and we had stuff that wasn't hardcore, but we would send the press release out and the bands would be like, or the press re- people would be like, Oh, this doesn't sound like Bane. You know, and we're like, I know we're doing this other thing. And all these bands, like we had a band that sounded like Wilco and they just couldn't get arrested because everybody just expected this thing. And I think when you have that tag, sometimes I think there's opportunities that get lost at the moment. And I almost hate the revisionist history on the era. They're like, oh, well, let me do a 20th anniversary retrospective. And this album's 10 out of 10. Really? Because there were nine people at the show. (laughs) So where were you in 98? (laughs) Specifically? (laughs) You know, it's funny because I think about that stuff too. And I think that like, I was aware of the fact that there were easier paths to big audiences in Boston, I think pretty early on. And I felt like there were tiers of bands. My ego then and now is such that like, I felt like there were like, there were easy, there's sort of guineas, you know what I mean? There were, there were people that, that, you know, like there are musicians in everywhere. It's not specific to Boston, but like whatever the genre is, they like go 
and they do it and they do other stuff, you know, and I did, uh, I've done, you know, four solo things and a lot of it's been written on my acoustic guitar. So of course there's this aesthetic of me playing in my apartment on my acoustic guitar versus in a room with loud amps with Will and James, right. you know, like that's some of that's just a natural progression of things. But I think in Boston and in that scene and everything, there was, you know, there were, there's such a high turnover rate in like the population there and the bands and everything going on. I I think that we had some pretty formal discussion at one point where we were like, we're James pointed out. He's like, we're the band, the other bands like we're not the band that crowds like. And I think that like, it was something a lot, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's been a few years, but um, that idea I loved that idea, meaning not trying to like write for bands, but I mean, I, I think that I just, I think I stopped caring what people thought about what we were writing and what we were doing. And we we're just writing the next batch of songs that we had. And we had bands that we loved and, you know, looked up to and are influenced by and all, all of that. And you know, I don't mean doing that in a bubble, but I just think the idea, you know, again, it's the same idea as what we were talking about initially of just you kind of do things to do them. And maybe you, you're not sure what the end result's going to be, you know, right. other than just thankful, thankful we had a label and were able like to, to make music and like getting so jazzed on writing an idea in the space and then just working on it for hours and hours and hours and just like playing and playing because it was fun. Did you feel progression? Did you feel, again, with the endorphins of having likes and Instagram and all these other things that you can feel like you're big, did you feel progression from, you know, self-made mess and heartbreaks? Like, did you feel different press? Like, again, was there a weight of being like, we got to get out of the scene. We got, I want to get on, you know, this sub pop thing or not the label, but, you know, maybe I want to play with the band on it. Did you, was it that or was it content? Was it? man, we're doing it. We've got this really cool tour with Garrison or we got this other thing or whatever it is. What was the, right. and or, or maybe it's something else. I just feel like, did you f- feel like things were progressing? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I thought about, um, so the first record, because, because we got signed and recorded it so quick. The thing is that a lot of songs were written that, that were not on self-made mess, but a lot of songs that were on self-made mess were songs that we had played out live a bunch. Right. And we, they were just sort of like, you know, we kind of were, you know, I, I, I would look at stuff and sort of try to call what like felt like the, the, the best set list we had. And that's kind of what self-made mess became, you know, we, we met, we wrote a few songs, maybe like kind of at the buzzer prior to recording um, or finished up a few ideas, but, the difference between that and Heartbreak's Got Backbeat was more time playing together, for sure. But also, we had one in the can, and we knew that we wanted to do something. You know, we wanted to do the next one, whatever the next one was. And we just let it be what it was. And I think I was really into the idea on that record. I, I think a lot of stuff on Heartbreak's Back, Got Backbeat wasn't even played live before we recorded it. Oh, wow. Um, at, at least, at least four songs, at least. Um, and, and I think that there was a conscious effort on our part. And when I was thinking about like what 
I wanted to do different to make it cohesive in that sort of like bookended way. Like we, we hit upon kind of a vibe in that record and you know, the, the, and just kind of like things that sounded like, 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 like kindred spirits wound up on there, you know? Mm -hmm. And some of the things I felt like were like, you know, mood pieces. They were like vibe things, you know, like I, I, it wasn't, it, it might not have been like the hookiest thing initially, but it was more like a earworm. You know, I felt like it was something where it was just like one of those things that would be like a fun repeated listen. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm in love with music, man. And I, I, I'm still blown away constantly by stuff. I listen to stuff and I'm just like, shit, like I got to get there. I'm not sure how I'm going to get there or if I'll ever get there, but I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going to try. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I love yeah. that. And, and that I think just of- it just seems like, and I want to get back to the songs too, because I feel like it, they're not talked about enough. And I think you talk, you really well-spoken about like being able to describe it. Cause I can, I can hear it as you say it. It's just this dynamic where it's almost like each instrument soloing. Um, but there's time and place between it and they all connect and kind of, um, become themselves, but also you kind of listen to it together. Um, and that's what I loved about six going on seven. It just, it, it, it felt open, but also you could almost change your ear and listen to it together. Did you feel that way? And were there, was the, like you said, the writing process, it's like each of you were kind of giving each other riffs. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wrote all the songs in the band, but there's zero chance that that band would have been that band without the, the three of us. We were like, that is such a cool, you know, sort of like accidental or not so accidental configuration. I mean, the reason that Will and I connected um, is he's a phenomenal, he's a phenomenal musician, a phenomenal drummer. He's one of the best musicians I've ever played with um, in terms of just like, he, he hears it, he hears it with, you know, he feels it and he doesn't play out of ego. In fact, you have to like kick him in the ass sometimes to play out of ego. You know what I mean? He's so, he just plays for the song in that way that um, I appreciate more and more. Like, but we had fun, like referencing things. Like, let's try to do this. Like, we're not good enough to do this, but let's like try our version of this or whatever, or like kind of like that, just for like snippets and moments of songs. And James was probably the most musically accomplished of the three of us in terms of like textbook, you know, um, formal education, because he went to college for music. And then he was, um, he, he was, I think university of North Texas, I think is where he was for music. And then he was at Berkeley for a short while. And then he dropped out like so many do at Berkeley. Um, but like that combination of the three of us. Yeah. Like it was just a cool thing, you know, I mean, I don't know. And also beyond the writing process, mood wise and like vibe wise, we spent a lot of time playing. We spent a lot of time, we wrote songs for, you know, months that we never, that we just pitched because we're like, no, like we, we have the better version of this now, you know? And I think that, and we weren't doing that for anybody. And, and then we were doing it at the height, the height, the height of everything. Tom, it was like, you know, 200 people at the middle East upstairs or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? So it was really like the, the biggest connection was our love for each other and our love for music, you know, and it's just one of those, it, it's, it's like lightning, man. It was just like that thing. Like if six, nine, seven ever did anything again, 
one parameter I know the three of us would, would agree upon would be we would only do it if we were going to make some new music. Because right. that's, that's, else, that's what was fun. That's, that's what was fun and that's what matters, man. Like, you know, that, that chemistry is like one of those things. You can hone that chemistry, but you can't, you can't like quantify it. Or you can't, you know, you can't uh, manufacture it, I should say. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you can't force it. It just right. was like, it was one of those beautiful things. And all of us had done shit like pre and post that was like pretty good, but not quite that. You know what I mean? Just like, that was just like, in terms of like having context to know what that was. And so I think that that period was like, if I look at those three records or, you know, it's like the, the angry record was self-made best. <laughs> the angry sad, the sad or the melancholy is more accurate record is the middle record. And then what's perceived as like the, you know, the sellout of the commercial one is the third one, you know, and that middle, I feel like I've written two records that I'm start to finish really proud of in my life. Lay bare your bones, which was my third solo record and Arbit Scott backbeat and everything else. I, if I could do everything else, over or change it ever so slightly I would wow I love that I mean yeah no no I think I just I'm just kind of processing it just because I think you being able to look back and and look at your music and 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 you know again realize what was important about it and and sort of the even through the eras and and what happened and who's remembering um I think for you to know know those things in your heart is you know sort of like the success and knowing hey maybe we'll get together but we have to make music it's not just going to be you know the hits tour or um whatever that is um in this new yeah, world yeah that's I mean, great what, the band was never a big band you know i mean it was a biggish band in new england and had some you know recognition from people that knew that we toured with outside of that scene but it's all relative so like for me for me, like that sort of thing, like all, all we, you know, what that band has to me, I, again, I'm just one third of it, but was the integrity of the time we existed in and the music we made, whether you like it or not, you know? And so going back to revisit that to me, I just think like, man, you know, the only way let's, let's make something cool. Let's make up some cool songs, you know, right. cause that's what it's about. You know, otherwise what, you know, like what weird, you know, like we're going to play, you know, like two nights at Middle East upstairs anymore because I think the Middle East is gone. It's it's gone. Yeah. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That, that idea. It's like, what, what's that for? I mean, like, you know, cool. I kind of, I guess, you know, like I'll, I'll go see bands that get back together all day long. That's not my, I don't mean like. Yeah, no, no. That's more like that's for you guys. Right. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm not like, I'm not, you know, those, those bands might have different trajectories or different like reasons for doing it or they, or they, you know, were bigger influences or what had, but for me, like, it's just more about, I know what it means to me. And if, you know, if we never played another show again, uh, or, you know, or we never, uh, if people can discover some stuff and like it, you know, here and there, that's rad. That's the coolest thing, man. You know, like, there's nothing better than I, I discover stuff all the time that I'm like, how did I not hear this before? Right. And why is this person, you know, 
obscure. <laughs> you know? Well, part of the problem is two of your records aren't streaming. What's going on? Some records. What's, what's you know, what you happened? Know, that's uh well, that label went out of business. It's really funny because Sammy, I don't know if it's funny, but it, but it is, it is what it is. Sammy and I were talking about this like side project thing that we did for fun with Brian McTurn 20 years ago. And in, in doing that, he was asking me about those records and I'm like, I'm putting that stuff up on Spotify along with like odds and ends soon because they're, they've been out of print for forever, you know? Um, but yeah, it's one of those things again, like, you know, like I, I spent so much, I, I spent the downtime trying to figure out what I wanted to do next because when the band ended, it was, I had put all my eggs in that basket, right. not in financial success, but emotional and creative energy and everything else. And it, it's, it becomes the time when you kind of go like, am I the person that's like, Oh, I used to play in a band or do I just keep making music? You know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that stuff is hard to have context. You know, it's hard to think about doing all this stuff and then starting over, you know, or, you know, and then my perception of all this stuff again is all relative, but you know what I knew at the time and what I was doing and I think I wrote some freaking terrible songs <laughs> right after the band broke up, just like trying so hard, like trying to write and not, there was nothing like coming out. I was just forcing it, you know, trying to like figure out what's the next thing and what am I going to do and whatever. And then at some point after the smoke had, you know, the smoke had uh, dispersed, I was able to kind of like write some songs that were, good songs again or songs that made sense like oh this is a natural song that i can work on the lyrics and work on you know what i mean the case mm -hmm. is good and what have you and do all that stuff and that's how that's how the solo thing happened but you know like the streaming stuff with 1607 i would like i would like it to be completest like at this point it would be great to have all three records up on one thing and maybe some demos you know um but that's that's in the works it is. Oh, good to hear. It because it's be been okay. Good because I was going to offer my services. Um, because there's so much. Oh, offer your services. Offer All right. Services. Well, we're going to talk about that offline then, because yeah, we could That's definitely perfect. help. But like honestly, like you know, there are kids younger than me that know more about me this stuff than I do because they're able to search and you know go on YouTube and find. And I think yeah. there's these moments where they want to put the pieces together like we were and they want to go past what's been force fed to them and told this is what this is, or this is this sound, or they want to go to 98 and be like, what else was going on? And right, I right. think this, you know, this is a glaring hole um, there and to only have, you know, I mean, shout out to Rama, but glad to have the big wheel record up um, doghouse, big wheel record up. But you know, there's, there's, there's definitely more. And um, yeah, man, that was yeah. a weird. That was a weird period for us, anyway. So you know, in context of like that whole trajectory, like start to finish, it's a weird. It's a weird starting point for sure. Yeah. You know. So, and I, I know I've kept you over time, but I do want to talk about the new stuff. I'm really stoked that you sent me, you know, the solo stuff and the thing you did with Sammy and Brian. Like, yeah. You, so, what's what's going on? What what's coming out? What has been what's been productive outside of you know, the world burning down in parts of, you know, the West coast. Oh man. Yeah. You know, like trying to think I, I did, a, um, I did a solo record 
at the tail end of January, I can't remember if that's right when I put it up, but that I've been working on for a while with some stuff. Um, I, I was collaborating with a, with an actor for like two years on writing this sort of like multimedia play thing. And then he fell ill and that kind of got put on the back burner. Uh, and, uh, but that's where all my, all my creative energy was going for wow. a few years and wrote some really cool songs that'll come out on something. I'm not sure, maybe an EP. Um, but then I had been recording rules in a knife fight, which is the fourth solo record thing I did sort of intermittently. And then that, then we just kind of, that got sewn up when that other thing, um, was put on the back burner for a while. And then that came out in January. And then, so that's the solo thing that I did most recent. Um, and then sort of, uh, I don't know, man, like a month or two ago, Sammy hit me up out of the blue and just said like, Hey man, you know, like remember that stuff we did, I think we should put it out. And uh, it was supposed to come out on revelation potentially years ago, like 20 years ago. And it never did. So, um, I, I don't know, Brian and Sammy and I were all in the thread and that was just sort of like the, the conversation was like, yeah, it sounds good. You know, like Bandcamp, SoundCloud, let's do like the normal, the normal stuff that exists, you know, Spotify. Right. And, uh, otherwise, and, and then that sort of led to some conversations similar to the ones before, like, man, this is fun. Like revisiting this stuff. Like I like this. It'd be fun to do some more, you know? And so that's sort of being talked about by everyone as well. Oh, which that's great. Cool. Yeah, man, we'll see, you know, like who knows? It's, Certainly, uh, traveling right now is next to impossible for a lot of people. So, uh, but this year has been a weird one. Stranger things could happen, you know, Right. Might, might wind up in a studio next week for all I know. You know? Right. And so the, again, the passion's still there. You still want to, you know, making music and, and, and doing this, you know, again, um, what, what, what sort of, what, what sort of keeps it going? Like you talked about, you know, with your mom dropping you off or you're going to those shows in Portland or you're diving in Boston. What about that still sticks with you? Oh man. You know, like, um, my older son hijacked my recording gear not long ago and was just like killing it, like making these ridiculous songs up with like a beat up old bass and, like the drum loops that are on garage band mm-hmm. and such and just nonsense and like figuring out like, Oh, I can, I can tweak my voice. So it sounds like this. I'm like layering. And that made me laugh, but it was just like that sort of, he would just go in his room and like both my sons would do stuff together, collaborative, which is even funnier. But my older son was real into like recording songs and it only lasted for like a month. Like the joy of him discovering like how that stuff worked was such a, was such a rad thing seeing that. And it's just like, you know, it's just kind of parroting back to me things that I already knew, like, you know, like this, Oh, this is, this is why this is so great. It's still great. You know, you kind of lose your, you lose yourself in the, the, the world of Instagram and Netflix and, you know, all that other shit, but it's still there. And, um, I definitely like started going to a bunch of shows earlier this year again for the first time in a long time. Like just because I was like, I'm just going to go see this band. Um, and saw a bunch of shows like in quick succession. I think I saw like, you know, I don't know, 
like five shows in a month or something like I hadn't done a long, long time like that at that sort of pace, you know, that would have been nothing forever ago. But like, it was one of those things where, and I, you know, I'm not playing any of the shows. I'm just going and seeing them, you know, and that's great, man. It's the same thing. You realize that like, it's cyclical. That stuff always exists. You know, it's just, you just are as involved or not involved or your place in the context of it changes maybe, you know, but all that stuff matters, man. Like at the end of the day, I'm good at about three things maybe. And I feel like music might be one of them. And so I'll keep making stuff as long as I can make stuff. And I want to do more bands and I want to do more solo stuff. And I want to, I want to entertain all sorts of shit. I've got great, great talented friends. I feel fortunate to have met um, and be in contact with still. And there's all sorts of potential cool stuff. It's been talked about that, that kind of like we, we stick around and we go like, we should do this. You know, one of these days, one of those things is going to happen and it's going to be cool. <laughs> what are the other two things you're good at? You know, music would be the second one too, Tom. And <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I was hoping like, you'd I, I say like really good at waffles and, uh, you know, starting my car in the winter, you know, <laughs> I, you know what I, I do, I do love a good waffle. I don't know that I make good waffles. Right. I think I make a decent pancake, <laughs> but that's, I feel like that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Um, I yeah, man. Thanks super, so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. I think more people need to hear about your band. Um, and, um, you know, again, like me, you know, when I heard Jay June for the first time or karate or a lot of these, like, I was like, this is different. I've never heard this. Like it opened my mind and the same thing when I heard your stuff. So, um, cool, man. So six, one and seven after Heartbreak got backbeat had a couple major labels that were really interested through maybe through some of the some guys i don't really know but it got really funny really quick for a period of about six months and they had like all of a sudden i had like lawyers like cold calling me jesus i had my cell phone number it's like yeah you know we're interested in like i i represent dinosaur jr and like and i you know we went to new york met which with some of these which people. labels the biggest one was um uh, I'm sorry, my my brain is the same label that Shift was on, dude. And uh, uh, Columbia, who do you know? Columbia. So, so Columbia was the big Shift right? is the reason I have a job in the music industry. Really? I made a. F- this is the 30 second story. I promise. I made a fa- I made a uh, fan website for Shift right. because I yeah. loved them and I got to see them a bunch in Vermont. I I made yeah, a website, yeah. Samantha found the website because her grandparents found it her she didn't have email she emailed me from her grandparents email and said i still have the email i still have it and she was like this is so cool thank you for making a website come hang out with us we're opening for our lady peace you know we're on columbia our album get in and ended up you know she got me my first job because a guy who worked there in radio started cornerstone and the fader magazine so that was my first job right, right. because of Sam. Um, so and Sam is, I hardly know Sam, but Sam is real good friends with somebody I know real well. Oh, cool. From, from childhood, like growing up. 
in I think Queens. I'm oh yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Like, she yeah she grew up in in uh, Rigo Park. Yeah, she Rigo Park, Rigo Park Queens. Rigo yeah, Park Queens. Funny, like the uh, the funniest thing about that is the we played Shift's record release at CBGB's for Get In. Wow. How do you like that? And that was a weird, that was a definite like major label going like, we're going to make them have their record release at CBG. You know what I mean? How, how like, bad uh, were those videos for them? I don't know if you remember the I Want to Be Rich oh, video. Absolute trash. They're, they're, they're <laughs> terrible. And, and what's, I mean, they're funny, terrible. You know, but like videos were so bad. Then. Videos were like, so bad. Yeah. A, but that was sort of like bad to some degree, even for the time. Like there's a little bit of like, you know, or like, or ham fisted, you know, yes. the better, you know, like the whole like robbery. Wasn't that the robbery one? Yes. Yeah. With, like sliding across the hoods of cars. Yes. Or <laughs> Good memory, Josh. Good memory. I still have well, all have of this be, digitized. <laughs> which I know. That's, yeah, I know. I, I don't have, I don't have anything of my own up, but, but I remember that they slid, slid across the hood of a car in a shift video. Dude. And we had a guy that, came, that, wanted to hear our material so badly that he, he wanted to manage us and he came to Attleboro, Massachusetts, just like <laughs> shithole recording, like, like a practice space right. that we had because he got kicked out of our other one, like, or the person that we were with lost it. It was like right. one of those things, you know? So we were in the interim. We found this place way too far South where we wanted to practice regularly, but it was like a stopgap thing. So this guy drives up from New York and sits in a chair in our practice space and listens to us play new songs. And it was so funny and surreal and weird and uncomfortable. Um, but that was like, that, that relationship went on for a little while, but that guy had something to do with hole as well. And a few other things. And so weird at some point in time, early on, he, or the, label, the lawyer says, so uh, what are we going to do about the drummer? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, well, uh, he's overweight. I was like, wow. And that's when it, that's when I was just like, okay. Yeah. Like I was like, he's sitting down. Hey, he's a killer drummer. You know what I mean? Like what, you know, give him a haircut. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like what, whatever. But that was one of those things that I never, I've never told anyone in the band. Right. Because it's just one of those things where you're just like, oh, this shit is ugly. I get it. It's totally, you know I mean? and all, like, all the lies like are true. Barely, like, I barely know you, and you're telling me that I need to fire my bass player or fire my drummer because he's overweight. After, you know what I mean? Like, after two records when he's just killing it live, and you guys have obviously seen that he can kill it live. You know what I mean? It's just like a funny... But that's just, it's all aesthetic, you know? It's all aesthetic. all aesthetic. I mean, I remember at Equal Vision, there'd be bands and, you know, they looked good and they were cute and the better band, yes. like Bear versus Shark, that they didn't look, they looked like lumberjacks versus cute yes, kids. Yes. Huh? That, you right. know, everyone cared about the other band. Right. That's Unless so... you happened to hit that hot water music trajectory when it was cool, look like a lumberjack. Exactly. And then, and then you might, but then you had to be on no idea because that was the label for that. <laughs> Totally. Oh, uh, that was yeah. And you had to be from South Florida. You had to fish. Uh, that was Dude, we we played with them. We had a split seven inch with them. Yeah, we played with them a lot. And those guys were super cool to us. And I, I love those guys. In fact, when I did 
early solo stuff, one of the first long like national tours I went on was with Chuck Reagan for the revival tour. Yes. He was calling it. And it was me and Chuck Reagan and um, Ben Nichols from Lucero. That is not a bad tour. Cool. Dude, it was great. It was so fun. And we each played with one side person. Chuck played with the violin player. Um, John Gaunt or his like fiddle player or whatever. Um, ben played with Todd, who I think played in Lucero like um, slide guitar and stuff for a while. But Todd's been a bunch of other bands. He's like from Murfreesboro. And then I played with my friend Charlie, who's a fucking amazing drummer. And we just did like acoustic guitar and drums. But he, his drum kit, Tom, was all, it was like a cobbled together Willy Wonka kit on purpose. Was so it Charlie Walker would, from Chamberlain or some other Charlie? No. Okay. No, it was, no, it was, it, it's Charlie from, Charlie from Detroit. Charlie Chicago. from Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not this, it's a, but he's a, he's a great, great drummer. And he was in a major label band for a while. He, I can't remember the name of this guy. Some guy from Wisconsin that was like this sort of like Bob Dylan-y sort of guy. Um, and Charlie played on TV with him and stuff, you know, oh, like, wow. like, you know, Conan O'Brien or whatever, but Charlie's a great drummer, but he, so we made this, we had to travel light. So we did this thing where he made this drum kit where he had like a rack tom and then the rack tom case, he made his bass drum. When he did wow. live, it, was totally like, it was like this funky, like tight hip hop kit, but, the, but with a drummer that can really like play. I love know? that. So that was, that was a lot of fun, man. And then we did, uh, what did we do? The, the, the circle made the circle be unbroken or whatever Chuck wanted to do at the end of every night. But we did, we played like the black cat in DC and um, all the way down to Florida, all the way over to Chicago. I don't think, I think it was just East coast. Right. Pretty much. But it was cool, man. It was cool. That was, and then, and then I went with, uh, do you know Frank Turner? Of course. All? Yeah. Frank and our friends. Okay. Okay. So let me give you some context for this. I drove Frank Turner because he literally, you know, you know the old the Tennessee song about the only person in that car is me. Yes. You know that. Okay. Frank Turner didn't have a driver's license. At stateside or 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 in the UK, and so that that song is, is a beautiful piece of fiction, and because he would never be in the car by himself, he doesn't. <laughs> but when Frank came over to America for his first tour solo i frank and i were in a rental car and we played all, every show together we drove i drove and we we played every show together that what year was From that 2000 and uh let's see 2008 okay maybe? that sounds Does about, that sound right. about right yeah because i was I, actually in california then um yeah, yeah. i, I would have so, been more aware yeah. That tour was me and Frank and Jonah from far. Ah. And one run. But that tour was also, that was me and Frank for a lot of that tour where Jonah didn't do it. So me and Frank in the Northwest. Um, and I was just, I was just starting like solo ish stuff. And my first record, which was real, like sort of tentative. And I was just, I was just kind of like finding my footing, you know, after years of like, doing other stuff, you know, right. in between. But like in, in doing that record, like it got re, it got like licensed by extra mile, which was what Frank's sort totally. of imprint at the time. 
And so we went over and did a UK tour of that same tour with, with Jonah and myself and Frank after, which was really fun. But that US tour was so funny, man, because it was like, it was like, both of us had toured extensively in other bands, but we're new to this sort of thing. So it was like a starting over right. <laughs> at the same time. But yeah, yeah, I've seen him intermittently and he's actually friends with people that he's better friends with people that I know now, but I knew him way back when. Yeah. Oh, that's like, so good. A funny, funny thing. Yeah. He's, Frank's he's, been on a couple there. times. Um, one of them was just us hanging, talking about emo the whole time. And then what bands he loved. And then the other time we both realized that we have this weird knowledge of like new metal. So we recorded an episode of us just talking about new metal. Um, and so it was super funny to like focus ourselves (laughs) to just talk about that stuff. (laughs) Well, we did a lot of radio, a lot of radio gigs on that UK. Oh, I'm sure. And I remember that anytime he had a radio because Jonah had some, and then we all had some, and then Frank had one just by himself. And I feel like, I don't know if he played Run to the Hills, but it was it was definitely not new metal. That's Iron Maiden, but right. But it's fun. Like yeah, he he's a he's a fun one. He's he's a character, man. <laughs> well, cool, man. This has been awesome. I I, I appreciate. Uh, you know, I'd heard. I think Aaron Perino said I did this podcast, and I think this guy's interested in talking to you, and I'll pass your number along. And then someone else, my friend TK, had said, "Oh, you know, like." the same thing. Like I just ran into Tom and like, you know, anyway, it was like a weird thing where it kept coming up and I was like, I gotta, you know, who is this guy? (laughs) I definitely seen you bunch, you know, back in the day. So it was, it was fun to, um, it was definitely like, it's you, you've been on my list. Who was, who was the first person? Aaron? Aaron Perino from Shiva Divine, I believe. Was the oh, first yeah, yeah, yeah. And then TK, is that, was that Trevor? Or so, who else is TK? Tom, Tom Conan, I think is his real name. But I've known him as TK for ever. I don't remember how, I, I, they're, they're like, face, they're both through like Facebook Messenger, which I don't even hardly use Facebook. Interesting. One of those things where I keep it because of Messenger, because every right. once in a while, you know, somebody writes you out of the blue with stuff like that. Like you got to, you got to do this podcast. <laughs> so, but I'm stoked, man. You know, like I, I, I feel like I've been in it for a long time and you know, for whatever, for, for lack of a better description, you know, when the band was done, like I kept playing music. So it's kind of important to me that like, it feels good that somebody is curious, you know, cause yeah. I, I, that's, that's not the motivation, but this is, this is a like, this exemplifies the sort of peaks and valleys of like sticking with it. Right. And yeah, I I think, and again, I'll, again, I I won't keep you, but I think that what you're saying resonates because the whole point of this is to have someone find this podcast or the website or the books that I put out of the podcast and someone, someone read about Jeff Farina and then they find out about Chris Caraba or vice versa. They find out like, and then it's, and Chris gets it. And a lot of these people get it. Like we all loved hardcore. We all loved punk. We all loved, it just happened to be this one genre that sort of intersected between all of them. And I think it's so misunderstood and I'm hoping through this work and through this, you know, archive that I'm building, like over time, you know, it won't be a laugh. It won't be a snicker. And I think, you know, people being able to discover more, including, like I said, your records being able, someone can discover this even if it brings them on a trail to go listen to 
other punk bands or they start to listen to you know hot water well however it happens i want those connectors or synapses connected so i hope i hope that's yeah, what man. happens i hope that's great <laughs> i i do too and you know like it, it's it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt i'm psyched you know thank you josh for the time absolutely man you too Have a good one. thanks you too bye